morning. Um, so this morning, I just want to start by, by saying it's, this is really a joy for me to be here. Um, I've been here before on a couple different occasions. Um, I was here for a congregational meeting. I was here for when your leadership team had a, a couple different meetings. I also preached here one time um, back I uh, probably, what was that, a year and a half, two years ago, something like that, just as a fill-in pastor uh, doing pulpit supply. Um, so this was actually scheduled long before Eric came down with the case of shingles. It just happens to work out well. Um, I had shingles one time, and I was on crutches for three weeks. Um, so I can just tell you that that, that pain is real. Um, but in talking with, with Eric... Uh, he told me, I, I always ask, so are you in the middle of a series? Like, what is, your, what is it that you're working at? <clears throat> because I want to just fit into what's taking place. And Eric's message was, uh, actually, we're, we are between series. And, um, and he asked me if I'd consider looking at the Ephesians 4.11 passage, specifically because this is something that has affected me personally. It's transformed how I understand ministry. I've been in ministry a long time, um, so the short version is that I've been at Dayspring for 37 years now, and, um, and it was in 2015 that I finally saw something different. Um, and so he asked me if I'd consider introducing and unpacking what I see and understand in, in these verses, and to do that... I need to begin by sharing when I first saw this passage, when I first saw it, actually saw, saw it for real for the first time. Have you ever read passages and you've read them and you've read them and you've read them and then all of a sudden, now you read them and you never saw this. Like you, so you kind of see it for the first time even though you've been seeing it for a long time. Well, that happened to me and when that happened, God didn't let me rest until I did a deeper dive. And the truth is, I'm still trying to dive into it and understand it better. <clears throat> so I need to begin with simply explaining how God got my attention and how he put me on a journey, because life is more about the journey than it is the destination. Look, the destination is heaven. I get that. I can't wait for that. But the journey I'm on right now is critically important. But the journey that has transformed the way that I understand ministry gifts and leadership in the church. So this is not me trying to take shots at anyone. This is simply me conveying my story. I was in Kansas City for the Mennonite Church Convention in 2015. And most people remember that convention as a controversial, pivotal um, uh, time. But for me personally, I had two very clear experiences in hearing... God speak to my heart. wasn't audible, but I clearly heard God speak to my soul at that um, when I was in Kansas City, and I was at peace with both. Not initially, but got, got to be at peace. The first was the church connection that I had in the past was no longer my future. I grew up in a, in a Mennonite pastor's family. Like, this was my life. This was all I knew. And because of some things that took place, some votes that happened and so forth, I understood and I 
I still remember setting out, there, they had a big courtyard area outside of the convention center, and I still remember setting in that courtyard and sensing God say to me, do you see what's, what's here? This is no longer your future. And when that's all you've known, like for me, I, I was glad that people weren't around and maybe the few that were around didn't know who I was because I had one of those ugly cries, just really grieving that what I had in the past was no longer in my future. By the next morning, I was saying, okay, God, if that's not my future, then what is? And at noon, right before lunch, they gave Alan Hirsch, an author and speaker and a pastor, he had written a book and they had given him 30 minutes to speak to the delegate body. If you've been to these conventions, you know that when they give you 30 minutes, most people just ignore the time and just blitz right on past. But he stood up and he said, it is 11.30, I've been told I have 30 minutes, so I'm not going to, he said, just dismiss all the rest of this. He had, he had this wonderful Australian accent, and he just said, we're going to cut to the chase. You are at a Christian convention, correct? So you must have your Bibles with you. Open your Bibles to Ephesians 4.11 and read with me, and he quickly moved on, where it says, and he, Christ, gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to the church. He said, how many of you know that Christ gave these five gifts to the church, not just the charismatic church? And I took a deep breath and I said, God, is this our future? If that wasn't my future, is this our future? Here's my problem. The primary reason for me that I was no longer seeing this as my future was because of what I perceived as a lack of biblical integrity where people were saying things that to me contradicted what Scripture had to say. And I was all in on Scripture. And he just read a verse that I had skipped past so quickly that I'd never seen it. I had dismissed it as something that was only relevant for a group of believers I wasn't part of. It's like for those of us who grew up in the Mennonite church to know all of the passages about peace, right? We know them. We could quote them. And can't understand how other people can skip past those. Well, here I was skipping past something. It just never registered. And I had this deep conviction that while I still had no idea what I was talking about, somehow this passage would inform my future, even though at the time I didn't understand it. So let me also say that the challenge I felt coming from Holy Spirit was to embrace this passage and these gifts within the context of being Anabaptist, because I am Anabaptist to the core. I could learn from those who believed in these five gifts, like the charismatic church, but I was not going to just blindly adopt what I heard elsewhere. I had to discover in our context because context is everything. In our context, how does this passage make sense? It's a little bit like saying that we believe in, um, in peace. How do you go to North Korea, live in North Korea, and maintain your theology? How does it work there? 
How do you do that in China? How do you do that in other places? For me, I had to be able to say, this is who we are. We are an Anabaptist church. How does this make sense in our context? So seeing this passage for the first time, this is what I've become convinced of. And I'm going to tell you up front, because I am assuming that not many of us are fully engaged in understanding these five gifts that Christ gave the church, I am skimming the surface. Partly is so that I'm not here four hours later and you're wondering when am I going to stop. So here's, here's, I'm going to give you three very specific things that, that are important in understanding how does this passage make sense in our context. First of all, it's accurate to read Ephesians 4, 7 and then skip straight to verse 11. So I'm going to just read that in the ESV, which is what I use. Um, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. So he gave those five gifts. Christ gave those five gifts to the church. The verses in between are Paul's commentary on who the giver of these gifts is. Because that's where it says, and he, speaking of Christ, ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave his gifts, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. How, how many of you know that when Paul writes, some of you are already smiling because you know where I'm going with this. You can read 14 verses before you've reached the first comma, right? That's what Paul does. He, he is the genius of run-on sentences, but they are full of truth. It is Jesus Christ who descended to this earth and ascended to heaven. That's the brief version of what he just said. Who came to free captives Give good gifts to his church. Again, that's taught throughout the New Testament. So in Luke 4, Jesus took the scroll of Isaiah. This is, Luke 4 has one of, become one of my favorite passages. In Luke 4, Jesus takes the scroll. This is after he's been baptized by John in the Jordan, right? And it says that Jesus took the scroll where it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus descended from heaven to earth to declare this message, to be this message. And then in Acts 1, we read about Jesus' ascension after his death and resurrection when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. He ascended, but first he descended. Go look at Philippians 2. That tells us why he came. He did his job. His life was given as a ransom for us, for our sin. He was in the grave for three days. 
he later ascends. That's what these passages, these verses in between are telling us. According to Ephesians 4, 7, the giver of these five gifts is Christ himself. He descended, he ascended. So that's the first point. The gifts themselves, these five gifts, are given by Christ. Let me ask you a question. If Jesus himself walked into the room and, hand, and, and delivered what looked like Christmas gifts, and each one had, a, had your name on, like one of them has your name, has name for everyone else, how many of you are leaving here without unwrapping it? It's got your name on. You know it's yours. It, it's not hers. It's yours. And, and you've got one because it has your name on. Everybody here knows. But you say, you know, I love the wrapping so well. And I'm not sure what's inside. It might scare me. So I think I'll just leave it there. Check it out next week. Nobody's going to do that. Believing these gifts are from Christ to the church, that meant that I personally had to, had to discover what these five gifts were. What is their purpose? And if done well, what do they look like? So here's what I've been learning. What are the five gifts? Let's start with the obvious. We all believe in evangelist pastors and teachers, right? Like that, those are pretty easy ones. Teachers teach, they instruct. Here's, here's something to understand about teachers. The most gifted teachers are the ones who understand what your learning skill is. Because we don't all learn the same. And so, Joel, what they do is they don't just teach their information. They say, if this is the way that he learns best, I'm going to present it in the way that he learns best so that, so that you get it. Because if you don't get it, I'm not really a teacher. Right? And one of the things I know about your pastor, Pastor Eric, is that he's a teacher. Have you figured that out yet? Because when he teaches, and I've been present, I've listened to his message, when he teaches, I've learned something. He loves to study, he loves to learn, he loves to teach. Before he was asked to do this, Carmen, you can, you can verify it, he was writing messages, right, that he couldn't teach, couldn't preach to anybody. He was doing that on his own, that's how much he loves to teach, right? Maybe he taught him to his family. Kids, I know what it's like to be a pastor's kid, and I know what it's like to be the pastor. Sometimes it's more fun being the pastor. Pastors, shepherds, the word pastor. Do you understand this is the only place in the New Testament that the word pastor is used for this, for this position? And yet, everyone we know that stands in this role, we call pastor. This word means those who are going to protect us. They are community-minded. They are at the forefront of compassionate care in the church. They're shepherds. Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep, right? Not everyone that we call pastor does this well. And that's probably because it's not likely their gift, not their primary gift. They may be a great teacher, but are they, are they truly a good shepherd? Just somebody, give me the name of someone that would be recognizable here, who you know was gifted as a shepherd. They cared, they cared deeply. Anyone. 
Who would you know that you would have identified as a shepherd? Chet. Chet was a guy, like I know Chet well. I've been, like I said, I've been doing pastor, pastoral work so long in this area. I know Chet well. And I can tell you that Chet breathed part of what his breath was, seeing people come out of unfortunate places and experience life and health and hope. Then they have evangelists. Evangelists are the people who wake up every day grieving for those who do not yet know Jesus. That's what an evangelist does. And they challenge the church to take care, to care as much as they do about the lost. These folks are wired to tell the good news of Jesus to those who do not know him. And they are effective. Now, the obvious ones are people like Myron Augsburger, if you're familiar with him, or Billy Graham. Billy Graham's an evangelist. I can say that anywhere, and no one's going to question what I mean by evangelist. Billy Graham had one of those rare gifts that, and I, I went to a number of his crusades, but he had the ability to stand up, preach a very, very, very basic message for 10 to 12 minutes, and then say, and if you want to experience this Jesus, come down front. And it was like people started running. I could have stood up, preached the exact same message, used as much passion as he did, and not seen five people come to Jesus that day. This man had the ability. They came primed. They came with expectancy. And part of that to me is because Billy Graham was one of these people who was so... He woke up every day thinking about the people who did not have the hope of Jesus. Evangelists don't think as much about those of us who have Jesus. Their primary concern is for those who don't. And then we come to apostles and prophets. Now, I understand that for some of you, I'm, I'm going to start to tread in some dangerous waters. I'm not concerned. I've got scripture here to help me. But many of us have been taught to dismiss the possibility of modern-day apostles and prophets. But here's my problem. While I've heard persuasive and passionate leaders suggest that apostles and prophets no longer exist, I don't see it in Scripture. I, I don't know what you do with that. I'm convinced that the problem has to do with misplaced emphasis on titles instead of the gifts and the assignments. If someone walks through the door saying, I am apostle so-and-so, I'm like, checked out. But if they come through the door doing the work, apostolic work, in my heart, I start to say, wow, this is different. This is different. So just as teachers teach, and pastors shepherd, and evangelists tell the truth of Jesus to the world, Prophets are primarily truth-tellers to the church. Prophets have sharp edges. I have told some folks that are very gifted in the prophetic, there is a reason why the Old Testament talks about the company of prophets. You know why they need company? Because prophets on their own all have sharp edges. And they need to be stuck in a stream with each other and roll around for a while so that some of the sharp edges get knocked off. They are truth-tellers to the church. Jesus came full of grace and truth. And sometimes prophets got to be reminded about the grace piece 
to the truth. Okay? Because if you have grace without truth, it's not true. If you have, gr- if you have truth without grace, it's not Jesus. You have to have the fullness of grace and truth to present Jesus. But prophets are the people who have the voice to speak truth to the church, and they are not going to back down from the truth no matter whose feelings they hurt. If it's the truth of Jesus Christ, they're going to say it. And they are relentless in calling the church to holiness and to obedience. And one of the people that comes to my mind when I think about this is my own father. He preached a number of messages in in conference-type settings where he said, if we do not change the direction of where we are headed, if we do not come back to the authority of Scripture, and he was saying this 30 years ago. I've got copies of his messages. He said, in my lifetime, this is where we're headed. And he passionately called people back. And guess what? That was where we were headed. He was relentless. He was not the person that everyone that everyone wanted to sit down and have coffee with. He was not the, while he is tender-hearted, he was, his primary gifting was not as a shepherd. But he was effective. Apostles are architects. They are visionaries. Apostle literally means sent once. I think it's fascinating. When Jesus called the 12 disciples, it says he called them apostles you will be my apostles. He told him that before he sent them anywhere. Because he, Jesus, was able to see who they were going to become, not just who they were now. This word apostle is actually used of more than 70 different people in the New Testament. When you start to look at the number of times the word apostle in the Greek is used in the New Testament, and it's used for over 70 people, and pastor is used one time, how do we all end up being called pastors? It's something we got accustomed to. Apostles are ones who are wired to look to the horizon God is leading us toward. Have you been to the Grand Canyon? Who's been to the Grand Canyon? Okay. If you haven't been there, at least look at some pictures. Consider yourself standing on the rim on one side, and you look across, and you can see the rim on the other side. But when you look down, there are places you look straight down, right? And you say, I need to get from this side to that side. Apostles understand there is not a straight line from here to there unless somebody's got a helicopter waiting for me. We've got to find where the trail goes down this way and this way and wraps around, crosses the water, and goes up the other side. It doesn't change the fact that the apostle sees directly across the canyon. That's the destination. And they lead us through to get to the other side. They help the church navigate where we are to go Because that's where God wants us to go, not just because they have a bright idea. And if you're familiar with Eldon King, you will understand that Eldon is gifted in this way. I had lunch with Eldon one day after I 
had this awareness that Ephesians 4.11 was going to transform what I was doing. And I just said to him, I said, Eldon, I think you believe in this. Tears started to come. Yep. I said, I think my dad was prophetic. Yep. I said, Eldon, we've been referring to you as the Pope of the Mennonite Church for a long time. But you're an apostle. Yep. I said, why didn't you ever tell anybody? They couldn't hear it. I just did my job. The purpose of these five gifts is spelled out in Ephesians 4.12. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. He gave these gifts to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. To equip the saints, the assignment of the local body of believers. That's you. So that's why Christ gave these five gifts, so that these five voices can speak into you to do the work. We've lost this to some degree, believing that that pastors are supposed to do the work of the church. We pay them to do the work of the church. Why are they not doing the work of the church? Their work is to, is to make sure that the body of believers is well-equipped to do the work. Why? It's for multiplication. If I try to do all this myself, I am going to probably be ineffective at best, right? Don't worry, they talked to me already. But understand that I cannot do it all. Eric can't do it all. Carmen, you and Eric together, your family, you can't do it all. But if they are able to translate to the body of Christ, this is what we are called to do, and you take your portion, you grab your shovel, and you go to work, it gets multiplied to equip the saints. To equip the saints for what purpose? For building up the body of Christ. So when these five gifts are being used well, the body of Christ is being built up, not beat down. My, my question is, are you feeling built up these days or beat down? If you're feel, feeling built up, that's because you are experiencing this, whether you've understood that or not. Ideally, the church is being taught well, cared for, empowered to tell the world about Jesus, hearing the call to obedience and holiness, and being given a roadmap for the journey toward the future God has in front of us. It is not reasonable for one person to carry the weight of all five assignments, though I will tell you that has become the expectation. And maybe that's why nine out of, peop nine out of ten people who go into ministry don't retire from it. Statistically, nine out of ten people who are credentialed for ministry do not retire from ministry. Why? You can throw in moral failure. You can throw in all you want to. But to me, at the heart of it is because we have now somehow adopted this idea we don't need five different people gifted five different ways to work together. We're going to have one person who can do it all. And sometimes, people who stand where I stand start thinking, wow, 
I'm good. And they go from thinking, wow, I'm good, to saying, wow, I'm tired. And then they go from saying, wow, I'm tired, to saying, if I'm not finding my life here, maybe I'll find it in pornography. Maybe I'll find it in a fair. Maybe I'll find it by taking a couple extra bucks out of the offering when nobody's looking. Because the devil is not afraid to take full advantage of the pride of people who stand where I stand and quickly move from pride. What's it say? Pride goeth before fall, destruction. Nine out of ten do not retire from ministry. And by the way, I'm out to change that number. So Eric, buckle up. These gifts are Christ's gifts to benefit the church, not to elevate the person. I have an office at Dayspring, and it has, has my nameplate on it. But the nameplate was made so that my name can be easily slid out, and another name can go in that nameplate when that time comes. And every now and then when I get to my office door, I'll just reach up now. I'll touch the nameplate and slide it to remind myself. Eric once said to me several times, I don't know how to be an interim pastor. You remember my response? Everyone's an interim pastor. Everyone. When they needed to replace Judas in Acts 1, Peter quoted from the book of Psalms where it says, let another take his place of office. And they asked God to show them who was to take the place of this ministry and apostleship because Judas had forfeited his right for the role. It is about the work that needs done, not the person who sets in the office. But the one who sets in the office needs to be turned loose to do the work as long as they are there. Done well, those gifted in these five ways respect each other's gifts. And then they work well together as they coordinate efforts with the needs of the body of Christ, beginning with pursuing unity and humility. If we took time to read the first six verses of Ephesians 4, you should circle every time you see the word unity or one. Unity, one. Unity, one. Unity, one. That's what we're supposed to have in the body of Christ. When you get to verse 13, it has the same word again. After it says to, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God. Pursue unity with humility. Pursue maturity, both as individuals and as a body of believers. You should not look the same 10 years from now as what you do right now. That's called maturity. That's called growing into who God is already seeing that you are. We have to pursue sound doctrine. Think, of, think in terms of the banks of a river. When you step one foot in one side of the river, are you in the river? Yes. Someone steps in from the other side, they too are in the river. There may be distance between you, but they're in, the, they're in the same river. If they're up on the bank, they're not in the same river. So the key is, while we experience some things differently, and we will see some things differently, even in our understanding of Scripture, we have to determine, are we actually in the, in the river 
that God's calling us to be in, sound doctrine provides some latitude so that I can be in one side of the river, you can be in the other side of the river, we're in the same river. Sound doctrine provides latitude, yet with clear boundaries. It's called unity, it's not called uniformity. Pursue connection with the head. The imagery here, part of what caught my eye in this passage, is that you th- we have a baby, beautiful sleeping baby. The head is well connected to the baby. And so for us, we see the body of Christ growing connected with the head, right? But this, this imagery is different. This is as if the head of Christ is not coming down any further than it already is. Because it says that the body needs to be built up and grow up into the head. That's what it says. I don't think Paul says this by accident. It's not like he doesn't understand the need for a body and head to be connected. But the body has to grow up into the head for proper connection and function. And it's not until we grow up and mature and and actually connect to the head, which is Christ. And by the way, the head is where the brain's at, right? That's the one that's really making the decisions as to whether or not my hands move a certain direction or if my, my feet do or if my words will come out right. Can't do that without the head connection. Christ expects us to, to grow up into him individually and as a church body for pro- proper connection and function. I'm gonna, I need to cover this one last point, and that is that Eric asked me to share how this has been helpful or fruitful for me personally and for Dayspring. First, it allows me to see the primary gifting in someone else who sees differently than I do. I told you how people who are prophetic can have sharp edges. People who are shepherds are all tender-hearted. People who are teachers just think you can resolve everything by teaching a better lesson. When Kent Miller, who is our associate pastor, when he speaks, he speaks with the tenderness of a shepherd. Now, he is a very mature shepherd, so he's also looking for truth. But I guarantee you, if somebody were to stump, if they came through the door and stumbled, he would be the first one on site to make sure that they were okay. He cares deeply, and when he speaks, he speaks with tenderness. When Delight Howells, who's one of our elders, speaks, she speaks with conviction, the conviction of a prophet. And so we can be hashing our way through some hard stuff as pastors and elders, and at some point... Delight is going to speak up and just say something, and it will put us, it will cause us to set back in our chairs because we just heard unadulterated truth. It is the word of a prophet. When Aaron Martin speaks, he speaks with the heart of a teacher. He will talk about what he's studied, what he's learned, and he communicates it in a way that we get it. When our pastor elder team is dealing with dif- difficult issues, Instead of saying, ah, you're just, you're so sappy and tenderhearted, you're not seeing that. Instead of doing that, we benefit by hearing each other express important insights based on their gifts. As an individual who sees the spot on the horizon where we are headed, Dayspring has entrusted me to work with our pastor elder team to find the path from where we are to where God is leading us. Now, I'm going to share an uncomfortable but practical application because some of this makes no difference if there's not a practical application. We've been asking people for over 30 years, if you were turned loose to do ministry, what would it look like? 
And people would come up to me who were new to the church, and they would say, I, I just, I'll do whatever you need. What do you need me to do? And I would say, it's the wrong question. You need to ask Jesus what he's calling you to do, and we'll try and figure out if we agree with you, then we will figure out a way to turn you loose to do the ministry you've been called to do. One of my elders, one, one Monday evening, looked at me and said, Jim, you're always asking us, but I'm going to ask you. I said, ask me what? If you were turned loose to do ministry, what would it look like? I said, no, 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 no. I asked that question around here. And he said, you're not asking anything that you're not willing to answer. And I said, okay, God, we've got work to do because I've not been asking myself. I've been doing what I've been expected to do. In 2018, I went to Regen. That's coming up. If you're signed up, I'll see you there. I sensed God speaking to my soul there where I heard, if you don't work at leadership development, you've failed. I put in years for you, Lord. What do you mean I've failed? I came home and I shared that message with our pastors, our elders, church council, and then the congregation. And they said, what do you need? And we began to press in. I may have heard that if I didn't work at leadership development, I failed. But they, then, then they said, what do you need? That's what I'd been doing for years. We developed an intern. I said, I need, I need X number of dollars set aside so we can develop an internship program. They said, we're a small church, but we're going to do it anyway. One day a week, we will pay this person one day a week. We don't even know who the intern's going to be yet. Turns out it was Jeff Bargerstock. He's now a pastor at, at Leaf, Longenecker. We started a leadership development program six months later that we call Second Saturday. Started out with five people in Second Saturday. Most of them came to me and said, I know I'm supposed to be in it, but one or two of them, we went to them and said, do you need to pray about this? Or are you going to be a part of this? They said, and there were people that have wanted to know, what do you teach? We just say, walk with us. We started leadership development with Second Saturday. Since then, we've seen eight credentialed and many more volunteers. So in the last three and a quarter years, we have seen eight people credentialed for ministry. Our church is not 1,000 people. We currently average around 105, 110 people. Six people from Dayspring have been credentialed to do ministry beyond Dayspring in five different churches. All five of that initial group are now going to be credentialed and in full-time ministry. Two more were credentialed for ministry within Dayspring. So we as a small church, in order to free me up to do some things like this and to press into what it means to develop leaders, we have what some would refer to as 3.4 FTEs. It may sound crazy, but the purpose is developing leaders. Another person accepted a volunteer chaplaincy in an elderly, underprivileged housing unit. A guy asked me, he said, hey, can I come talk to, you, to, to your church at all about, I need a chaplain. And, and I said, actually, I have this group of people called Second Saturday. I said, I'll give you 10 minutes. Come at the very end, you have 10 minutes. He came in, shared what, what the need for chaplains in this, uh, it's up in Canton, it's, it's housing for people who financially do not have means, um, 
and primarily retirement people. He said, I need a chaplain, and he said, we gotta, we're, going, we're going to offer uh, training for this coming up. So if you have an interest, Jim knows how to get in touch with me. Thank you for the 10 minutes, and he was heading for the door, and a lady said, I'm in. And he said, you're in what? <laughs> she said, we believe in quick obedience around here. You spoke, I heard God, I'm in. She's now been their chaplain for over a year. Our approach is to identify and develop gifts. So what's your gift? My job is to help see that gift, and sometimes it's to call it out of you, even if you don't see it yourself. We invite people to test gifts in safe spaces, which means a lot of grace. Most of these folks have never preached before, and we will walk with them and help them develop, here's what a message looks like. We expect people to develop and act on the gifts that God reveals. He gave them the gift. So why are they setting on it? Probably because of some, re some reasons that we need to help them get past. This started because I heard the challenge of God to see a passage in Scripture for the first time all over again. It can be messy, scary, and unsettling at times because we walk by faith, not by sight. But we've embraced the employment and deployment of these gifts, all for God's glory, working together to grow up and develop the body of Christ into maturity, unified in purpose, connecting the body to the head so that we are useful and effective in the body of Christ. What difference does any of that make here at LifeBridge? Internally here at LifeBridge, I'm your regional pastor, like part of this is you get to see at least a conviction that has transformed my own personal ministry. But internally here at LifeBridge, I would challenge you to believe that God has called, collected, and assembled each one of you here for his purpose. If you're here for the first time, understand you aren't here by accident. Why has God assembled you here? Listen. First, believe. Second, listen to the markers that tell you what another person's primary gift is. The number of people that we have that someone came up to them and said, I've, I've watched you for the last six years. You're a teacher. Why aren't you teaching? You're a teacher. And they say, ah, no, no, I don't, I don't. Yes, you are. I see the gifts. Develop the gift. Listen to the markers that tell you what another person's primary gift is. Capitalize on the collective gifts and work together to build up, grow up, and be effective. Instead of seeing someone else as always having a different perspective than you, you may have a different perspective than me. I hope you have a different perspective than me because we need you to have a different perspective than me. When you're empowered to do your thing and you speak up, and if your gift, for instance, is a shepherd, you're going to care for the people that I may, I may have just trampled over because I didn't even see them in my path. Know when to defer to another because all of these gifts have shortcomings when operating as lone rangers. If you operate as a lone ranger, you will inevitably fail at your ministry. Here's my shortcoming. My shortcoming is to be driven, demanding, and insensitive. Go figure. Like, I'm sensitive. I'm a sensitive guy. But I know that if I'm so focused on that target that's on that side of the hill, and I've got to find the path through, I can step on people, I can, I can demand you keep up, we've, we're moving here, we got to go, we can't wait. 
until a shepherd's voice catches my ear and says, wait a minute, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. We've got to take as many people with us as we can. And they're right. God gifted me with a partner in ministry for over 30 years in Kent Miller, who's an incredible shepherd. And so we have been listening to each other for years. We just didn't know what we were doing. Now, David and Heather Curtis are part of our pastoral team. Their voices are there for a reason. God is using us, not one. We trust each other, and the church is better because of it. Ivana is better because of it. This is not about me, but Charlie Grimes is at Walnut Creek as their lead pastor. Jeff Bargerstock is at Leaf as their lead pastor. Terry Horner is at LifeBridge as their associate pastor. Randy and Larissa Willard are out at Marion Christian Fellowship, co-pastoring together as lead pastor. Matt Neuenswander this morning is being voted on as a, uh, to be on the pastoral team at Kidron Mennonite. Folks, all of this has been happening just in the last three and a quarter years, and the only thing that we've done right is come home from Kansas City and said, God, if that's not our future, then what is? How do we press into this? And I believe the kingdom's been forever changed because of it. And it ain't about me. Do you, do you still do questions at the end of your messages? Like, I've, I've been here a couple of times and people had questions and I was like, wow, that's interesting. Anybody have a question that you just have to ask? I'll do my best. Because if this isn't practical, if it, doesn't make, if it doesn't make a difference, then we just enjoyed 45 minutes of company and I don't normally preach that long. Any pressing question? Wow, that is a huge loaded question. What happens when you play out, when you identify it and you start to press in and people begin to say, I see that gift in you? Like all those things come together? You ever ridden an escalator where you feel like you're standing still? Like you're standing still, but you're, you're just soaring to a new level? Like, Dennis, does this stuff make sense to you? Because what happens is when you have somebody come alongside and they say, I see what you're doing. And, and we're not just going to tell you you're doing a good job. We're going to, we're going to give you better tools. We're, we're going we're to give you power tools to try and to, to now work at what you have been using hand tools for. In fact, they now have tools that you don't even have to plug in. So you don't have to worry about the cord anymore. We're going to give you even better tools. And then you invest in the tools and you start doing that work at that level, right? Instead of what you've been doing. I was a roofer for years. And, and it was during the time when power tools, the, the pneumatic tools were coming out. And we had, I was on a crew where a number of guys were like, I'm not touching those things. I can hammer faster than those can go. And I was like, have at it, dude. If I can go ding, 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 
and I've got four in, and you're standing there holding your finger that you just nailed, like, I'm all about the power tools. And that's what happens. We discover that everything that we've been working at gets stuck on an escalator, and we are now riding, and we, we're making progress that we didn't know we could make. Maybe the better illustration is if you go to the airport and you can choose to walk on a floor like this or walk on one of those deals that basically is a conveyor belt. And so you're still walking, but you're walking much faster than everybody else, but you're not showing any more effort. I'm not wearing myself out in ministry as much now, I, I don't think. You know, I'm tired. But I... I'm committed to it because I see what's happening. Same effort, but the progress is incredible. Joel, I've, I've way overshot my time. Let me pray for us. So God, I am, in my heart of hearts, I am convinced that there are at least a handful of people here that are saying, I know what my gift is, but I'm not sure I want anyone to know. Because to whom much has been given, much is required. This is not about whether or not we receive accolades. This is about whether or not we give glory to you in living our life. We are in Christ to do good works on your behalf. We aren't saved by the good works, but there are good works you've called us to do. God, cause us to set aside what is keeping us from embracing what you yourself are speaking to our spirit and telling us this is our, this is our assignment. There are a handful of people here that I'm also convinced have been told to stand down. And today, God, I believe your spirit is telling people to stand up. For anyone who has heard, we're tired of listening to you. God, give them the kind of words and, con and conviction that they find new ways to tell what is true and be heard. And give them an audience that suddenly begins to say, I think, I think that the reason you're saying what you are is a direct result of the gifts that you have. How do we work together? So that we build up, we equip and build up instead of, instead of beat down. Set your church on fire for your glory, your purpose. I pray this in Jesus.